This is the Live to Inspire podcast with me, your host, Mo Yunus. Welcome to the Live to Inspire podcast with me, your host, Mo Yunus. Today, I'm joined by Chief Executive of Acorns Children's Hospice, Toby Porter. Um, how are you, Toby? I'm, I'm, I'm very well, Mo, thank you, and I'm very delighted to... Uh... To be here with you and to see you looking so well thank you thank you so much um yeah um thank you very much for coming on but yeah before we before we jump right into you know the acorn children's hospice and about about your career and what you do as chief executive i'm gonna start with asking you a question that i ask all my guests um that question is what is the biggest challenge you face in life right now um I think uh, the biggest challenge faced in life right now, mm-hmm. I, w- I would say that like uh, uh, mental health of uh, of some people very dear to me. Yeah. So, uh, what what are your ways of overcoming that? Um, I think uh, trying to be uh, positive and patient and insightful and. Uh, recognizing that the COVID-19 pandemic's been tough for everyone and that there's very few families who are immune from, um, uh, you know, particular difficulties. Um, and, and we have to take, we have to remind ourselves that it is going to take a very long time. Yeah, because I mean, I mean, um, yeah, COVID, I mean, it, I think something as big as that and the way it come out of nowhere as well, it's it's not just affected everyone's mental health, but it's affected many, many, you know, many places like Acorns. Um, you know, people rely on hospices like that and them things got taken away. You know, like some people would go to Acorns for their mental health, to help their mental health. And and then it, when, that cl- when that closes down, you know, they, they had nothing. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it must have been it must have been very very tough for for everyone. But yeah, just this is the Live to Inspire podcast, so we're here to tell everyone to to just stay strong and yeah. So that's it. So yeah, so you are chief executive of, of Acorns, and you know because we we we've known each other for a while now, but I'm not really I don't really know much about how this came around for you. So so I'm interested to know how did acorns come around for you and and you know how did this this role of being chief chief executive come it's a, it's a good question and and it was a it was a bit of a coincidence so i used to my whole career 25 years has been spent with charity but very different charities and I, what i i was a specialist in what's called humanitarian aid so i used to do humanitarian emergency operations. I, I worked with Oxfam in countries like South Sudan and Kosovo and Colombia and Guatemala. I worked for Save the Children. Um, I was emergencies director globally for Save the Children, for example, when the Asian tsunami happened. So I had to mount that operation from scratch uh, somewhere that would yourself, Mo, and your British Pakistani community would remember would be the 2005 mega earthquake in Kashmir which was a massive disaster and I had to mount the uh, response to that operation also from Save the Children to lead it 
um and uh and i and i i had this career where i used to love my work but i was always traveling always moving around one week i'd be in new york one week i'd be in geneva one week i'd be in asia and i suppose the way that i would describe it is i loved my job and i loved my personal life and my family life but the two were hopelessly out of kilt and I kind of you know at a fundamental level my life isn't working and I'm not quite spending my time how I'd like to be spending my time and I'm I'm missing my kids growing up and you know life's passing me by and everything else and and I remember uh, you know one of those tricks that you learn as a commuter so I used to take the train up to London from Oxford where you know I live Mm-hmm. And uh, the I always used to work on the train because I wake up strong, I wake up easy. So I'm always uh, email, give me a cup of coffee and I can work at 5.30 in the morning, no worries. Um, so I'd always work on the train. And what I realised is that the Great Western train, I used to take the train up to London. All of the people in the first class carriages got given free newspapers, like a copy of the Times. Mm-hmm. And so what I do often is I'd walk out through first class and I'd just put a newspaper that someone else had read and discarded and I'd put it in my rucksack. <laughs> and I'd read that on the way back because I'm a morning person. In the night, when I'd take the train home in the evening, I wasn't good for anything. My brain was switching down, so I'd read a newspaper. So I'd take it in the morning and read it in the evening. And that evening, I'd, t- I'd had a really strenuous day at home and it just said, Children's Hospice Charity based in in Birmingham and chief executive um, and I thought yeah that's Birmingham and I, I thought a little bit about it and uh, am I allowed to carry on talking you don't mind if I'm talking no, no, it's just, it's just what we're, we're here for we want to know I'll tell you something a very um, you know personal experience for me which I, I, I don't talk about very often but one of the most profound um, I suppose experiences of my life was in 1994 when I uh, worked as part of a medical humanitarian team uh, in the Rwanda refugee uh, camps. So mm-hmm. there was countries, this country in Rwanda, there was a genocide. And yeah. A lot of people were killed and a lot of other people became refugees in neighboring countries. And the medical agency where that I worked for was uh, had the responsibility for doing healthcare in what was called an orphanage at the time, although you don't use the term anymore. The correct term is an unaccompanied children's centre because we didn't know anything about the parental status. We just knew that there were unaccompanied children, very large numbers. So all these kids lived together, you know, maybe 500 kids you know, in this camp, tents, wooden houses etc um and it was uh it was the worst of times it was like cholera dysentery um and and uh and a lot of kids died now and uh and you know in in the worst of circumstances they they died without names they died without family um Mm -hmm. Um, this even, you know, now we take our digital phones and what have you for granted, but we didn't have photos of their, some of these kids, you know, they were just gone. 
and um, and I worked with a pediatrician and neurologist at Birmingham Children's Hospital at the time, Dr. Paul, and also a couple of pediatric nurses. And they were real humanitarians. They were, um, and they, they soon put in place a protocol um, that when they sadly had come to the conclusion that they couldn't save a child um, and that there was nothing they were going to do, that the child was basically dying. And there were, you know, this in some days there were eight or ten children a day dying in the worst of, of, of the, the disease. Um, so they just had a little protocol where someone would always just stay and cuddle and hold the child so that the child, you know, that there was someone, if you like, comforting the child, holding the child when he or she exited the world. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and I was also, I was one of the uh, people who, you know, was, I was one of the people who was asked to do this. So in, um, so I guess unusually for a 30 year old, because I was, well, I wasn't even, I guess I must have been 25, 26 at the time. I, I had been in a situation where I had been in, you know, extreme proximity, you know, essentially in my arms to quite a large number of children dying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and obviously, you know, you can't not be profoundly changed, profoundly impacted by that. And, 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 and I always, and I somehow when I saw acorns and her, you know, this idea about children's hospice in England, I kind of thought that this, and when I read about the charity and, and, and how professional and caring and uh, always doing everything for the family, for the child, etc. in those situations. I kind of, I must have psychologically seen a way of taking this awful part of my life and somehow finding some better closure by going to a place that literally probably the you know the the most skilled the most professional the most caring place in the world if if a child isn't going to make it so I kind of went on that journey a bit and that just made me look at this uh so I, I do feel I was kind of touched a bit by fate that day you know I just some days I picked up a newspaper, other days I didn't. And I happened to pick up a newspaper yeah. that day. That's, but, that's and, and nobody would ever, you know, it, when you're a CEO of a charity, you have what they call headhunters, people who ring you up and say, look, I know you're doing a good job at Acorns, but would you be interested in becoming a CEO for this hospice that's looking for a new chief executive? Well, nobody would have found me because if you're looking for a CEO of a children's hospice in Birmingham, you don't tend to be looking in refugee camps, yeah. you know, in Asia and Africa and 
what have you. So I think it was very, I think it was somehow the hand of fate, if you like. And, and, yeah, and I mean, them, them times, sorry, them times, them times were like, most people couldn't imagine, imagine being in the situations you've been in, you know, that that's, it's just unimaginable for most people. But, but how did you maintain your strength? Oh, well, you know, there was, um, what, in, in the refugee camps? Yeah. Well, we were a team. We had each other. Um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we, we, uh, we, had, we had friends. Um, you know, we'd, so all of, we, all of the usual ways. We, we didn't have family, you know, strange though it is for folks your age to imagine we we didn't have the internet we didn't have uh, video calls we didn't have whatsapp we didn't have insta you know so we uh, i remember there used to be a, a satellite like a telex machine that you type in basic message and it would come out and uh, of a terminal over here and then someone would send a fax to your family if your family had a fax machine so we just uh you know just all the same ways that everybody supports one another just by being being human and being taking giving people the space to time out which is of course what people so many people need now mo after the after the pandemic yeah yeah because i mean speak, speaking of the pandemic it, it's like I said, when when we started the show, you know, it's it's affected so many people, and and, and I mean, it, even with Acorns, Acorns Hospice, I mean, ha, ha, have you spoken to any of the families or, or anyone through through it? And how are how are they, you know, keeping their strength and and you know going through this time without you know Acorns support? Well, people do they... have people do have Acorns support, by the way. So we tried to double and redouble our our support but let me answer your first question so you know for the benefit of your listeners who may not know i mean you know the the most important thing uh in the lives of almost every family that acorns works with is the health of their poorly child and mm -hmm. as you know mo yourself from your wonderful parents you know uh the mums and dads of Acorn's kids have spent years and years and years and years and years and years and years doing all they can to keep their child well and to protect them from harm. Mm -hmm. And and uh, and so if you apply that to the pandemic, it's no surprise that the families of children like the children we see at Acorn's were some of the very earliest and very strictest shielders mm -hmm. because they immediately um, started shielding themselves and their families in order to protect. Uh, nobody knew what this disease would do. We knew that the evidence was that it was less damaging to children, but there was no data out there as to how as to the impact on children with um, with very serious existing health conditions, you know, and I say that to you, Mo. Not that you, I mean you're an adult, but you you understand that, you know. We didn't, people didn't know, 
And so in practical terms, again, you know, as you know from your own experience, when you have a member of your family and a child who has significant health needs, medical needs, families depend on a network of, of formal and informal carers and support. So it might be an aunt or an uncle, it might be a friend popping in, it might be a care package where you have different carers coming on different times of day, different days of the week. And then the family, once they're deciding to shield, says, well, I'm cancelling everything. I'm, I'm not, my, I, you know, I'll do the care myself. Um, I, I won't, I can't have a carer coming in because I don't know if the carer is going to bring the virus from another, cus, another client, another family. Yeah. In their social life. Can't trust anyone. I must keep my child alive. I must keep my child safe. And so what you saw was families who were very successful by and by in terms of protecting their kids, but they did it at great cost to themselves because they had to cut themselves off from the network of care and support that socially and, and as a country, you know, we, we try and make available. So this created um, strains. We know that um, we've seen higher, you know, we, in most cases that just led to additional fatigue, um, additional emotions, um, feeling of helplessness, abandonment, uh, uncertainty, not knowing would it ever end. Um, in isolated cases, um, unfortunately, we have seen an increase in incidences of safeguarding concerns in, 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 in certain families, you know, higher levels of domestic violence uh, or that kind of thing. Um, and it's been really tough, but, and as you know, um, as you may know, the vaccines are not yet approved for children under 16. So while most of the country has uh, started to recover because of 75% of adults having at least one vaccine, um, for most of the ACORNS families, that's not yet an option for the family member that they're most concerned about, which is their child with health conditions because the vaccines aren't yet approved. So it, it is still very difficult, Mo. I mean, I think all of us would say in life that whatever we are in life, that COVID's been a tremendous magnifier of, of different things in lives and in society. So COVID has magnified and increased the inequality. So richer people have tended to easily transition their lives to remote working and have just done their jobs from home and therefore and they're the ones who've not been going out so they haven't been spending money on nightclubs and restaurants and theatres and expensive foreign holidays whereas at the other end you've got poorer people who've, who've got who live day by day who might be very dependent on jobs in hospitality and other service sector that has grown up who may uh, not have a room in the house to, to work from, who might have a very poor internet connection. 
So COVID's been a tremendous magnifier. So, you know, I, I would say that um, it has been very difficult for Acorn's families because we do, because of the health conditions, we are dealing with a vulnerable part of society and, and COVID's been really tough, Matt. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, um, you know, yeah, we we want to we do want to keep keep you know we have spoke a lot now and and a lot of a lot of your story is is you know it is very upsetting you know what what you've had to go through and and stuff like that and even with acorns now I mean that you 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 must you see like with acorns how I've been I've you know I've been through a lot but now I've got these memories in my head from the fun times I had I had with acorns, even, even though I was sick most of the time, you know, I, I still have, have some of these memories in my head. And I mean, is that is that the same with you, you know, from from not just acorns, but what, what you've done in the past with, with the refugee stuff and you know, do you do you have any good memories or, or is it is it all just No, I, I thank you for asking. I mean I have I have many, many happy memories of um meeting wonderful people where I worked, people I worked with. Um, uh, I felt very proud of the impact that we, the operations I was involved with were able to have on a situation. Um, and uh, yeah, like, like, um, like you with with acorns, so there are lots of happy memories. I have lots of happy memories of you, at acorns, Ma. I think you were the first person I met. Yeah, you know? I don't remember you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so I mean, I, I mean, like you know, that I think that's one thing. One thing we can inspire other people. You know, even though we've both got these memories and we've both been through what we've been through, we still try and keep the positive stuff in our head. And, and I mean, that's that's really important, even even for people that are suffering with mental health, you know, as hard as it is, you've got to try and just, you've got to try and just keep going. You know, at one stage, I, I wasn't, I didn't want to live. And and sometimes I feel I feel like that now, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing what I've always wanted to do, have my own podcast show, you know, speak to people like yourself and and, and like I mean the, the point of this show is to inspire others and I mean with your story and what what you've been through what I've been through and, and how you've how you're now CEO of Acorns after everything you've been through you know it, it shows that people should never give up on life that they should just keep going you know I mean like you said you've been through all that but you still have many happy memories and, and I mean that's really important to mention because most people would think, okay, you've been through all that, you know, your whole life's depressing. Most people would think that they wouldn't they wouldn't think you'd have happy memories, but you still have memories, you know, that, that you can smile about from from the past, which is um which is amazing. Because I was, one of the questions I was gonna ask you was if joining acorns affected you mentally, as in meeting the children who are sick and stuff, but now you've told me about what you've been through in the past. I'm guessing, I'm guessing that that's you know, I'm guessing it hasn't at all then because you've you've obviously got the strength and you've dealt with worse, haven't you? There've been 
there have been incredibly sad situations that I've seen at Acorns and things that mm -hmm. you know, I shouldn't speak about, but yeah. um, because the family's it's private, but obviously, uh, you know, but I, I think what I'd say, and you'd know this, Mo, is that when I w was talking about applying for Acorns to work with Acorns and thinking back of that former experience where I'd seen kids dying in 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 the Rwandan refugee camps in Zaire. I didn't know at the time, I kind of assumed that children's hospices were just full of kids who yeah. were dying. And, yeah. and as you know, the happy, I couldn't have been more wrong. And in fact, the, the acorns every year, we reckon that we, you know, in a normal year, Take the pandemic out of it. In a normal year, we think that we have we provide about seven thousand five hundred bed stays wow. across our three hospices. So there are seven thousand five hundred individual heads on beds, if you like, having a stay. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, and only about 400, 500 of those would be children at the end of their lives, and every, every all of the others. So you know, the other 7,000 were from people like you having a what we call a short break, yeah? Mm -hmm. um, and just having a lovely time. And so it took me to come to Acorns to realise that Acorns is a, a, is a place where there's much more happiness than sadness. There's, mm -hmm. much more, there's much more joy than there is loss or bereavement. Um, and, you know, like if 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 I take remind me how old you were when you were first referred to Acorns. It was before your first birthday, wasn't it? Yes, six months. I'm sure it yeah. was. Yeah. And I and I think you told me once that your pediatrician had told your parents, "Well, this little lad Moen, you know, he's got this awful EB, and he probably won't see his first birthday." Yeah. yeah they were they were pretty much adamant actually that I wouldn't. Yeah. yeah so. And and you know here you are now. Age, I'm guessing 24, 23? 24, 21, 21. Are you 21? Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, and uh, you know, I know that you know you you're only at the beginning of what your 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 journey, your gene, your what you're setting out to to achieve and stuff. So um and uh, so I think that's been the nicest realization for me is that Acorns is is about is a place where children come to live, not to die. It, yeah, you know. I mean, many people, many people wouldn't know this actually, and I think it's worth mentioning. But Acorns played a massive part of of me winning the Pride of Birmingham Award, and and then going on to win the Pride of Britain Award because I remember I was staying at Acorns, and I'm sure it was you who put put me down for that. Was it the Pride? Was it what what award was it? The Children's of Courage, the Child of Courage Award, was it for? I forgot what award ceremony it was now, but I'm sure you something had happened, and I'd gone there to the award ceremony and they'd announced my name, and I'd won that, and I'd heard you'd played a massive part in that, and I think. Well, I, I think. I think, we should, I, I think uh, as they, as people like as people say to the media. I will neither confirm nor deny that because I think the fact is the 
but there's only one person that was responsible for you winning the Pride of Britain awards, and that was Mo and Eunice. Um, and it doesn't really matter who may or may not have been involved in bringing your courage to the attention of that that award people. But I, I, if I did play a role, I would be very proud and happy uh, to have done so because I, I, um, and I certainly I remember watching uh, the Pride of Britain show. Um, and uh, it was one of the happiest days that I've had in my life because, oh, wow. you know, seeing how happy you were, but also, you know, just seeing how beautifully and charismatically you 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 handled that whole night in London and had the whole you know the whole country really eating out of your hands that night and laughing and loving the way that you were pulling Gareth Southgate's leg and uh, and draped, you know striking up a rapport with Prince William and so on and I think um, you know I think that that is that Pride of Britain show is probably the closest thing we have to a kind of national award for inspiring others and as you know because I had lots of conversations with you afterwards mm-hmm. you know I always hope that that's how you would decide to spend most of your time would be on um, you know talk, giving motivational talks and looking out for other people younger than yourself now who need a lift but also are amazing people with incredible stories to tell mm-hmm. and I I really believe and celebrate the platform that your talents for speaking for interaction and your love of media social media podcasts I think it's fantastic that platform that you've created as well as some very high profile friends and I think they really are your friends you know people like Gabby and Jack and Adil and uh, Duncan you know uh, these are mm-hmm. people who, who think the world of you and uh, who have, uh, you know, been very happy just to do their bit. But the hard work is done by you, you know, which is you've got a very valuable story to tell and you've, you're in a position where, you, you know, I know, I, know that, I know what your condition means for you. I know what you have to go through every day because you've told me and, and, and I've, you know, Obviously, I've seen some of the TV programs you've made and I've spoken to Mohammed and Shafia and so on about it. But, um, and you're, a, you're an inspiration and that, that is a great platform. And if charities like Acorns can do a little bit about raising the profile of some incredible children and young people like yourself, that's what we're here for. And that's why people are kind enough to support us. Yeah, I mean, I mean, vice versa, like me, me having, having, you know, as soon as we, we started this podcast, one of my aims was to, to, to get you on and to make sure we could raise as much awareness for acorns as possible. Because I mean, I still feel like, I still feel like it should be out there a bit more. I, I still feel like not many people still know about it because even when I go out now, people ask me what Acorns is about and and what it, you know what is it and 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 I mean I'm hoping this podcast does very well. You know I'm hoping to have Prince William on my 50th episode, 
you know, so I'm hoping this podcast does very well. So if it does do very well, you know, and we do get a lot of listeners and viewers, it 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 will be easier for them to listen to this and, and, and find out themselves what Acorns is about. Because I mean I mean we go back I think a year ago and one of the hospices was was in danger of shutting down, wasn't it? In Walsall, yeah. Yeah, so so I mean I mean how much how much money did you have to raise for that again? So we we set ourselves the target of raising two million pounds and in the black country and the black country community were fantastic. They they really took the appeal to their hearts and mm -hmm. everybody was fundraising for acorns, you know, buckets were going around pubs and restaurants, the churches, the mosques, the schools, uh, everybody was doing bits and pieces. And then of course COVID happened and all of that stuff stopped. Yeah. But um, actually, COVID has provided such a shock to everybody's, if you like, what we could call business model. You know, say so all of the ways we used to make money, some of them have increased, some of them have decreased, some of them have changed. And also the way that we've spent money has changed as well. And so the overall result is we're fine and the Warsaw Hospice is saved and Acorns is here to stay in Birmingham, Warsaw and Worcester. And, and, and that's great. And that's... Uh, been a wonderful team effort but above all we've just felt the love and the support of the local community you know people are very kind as you know um I've, I've seen you know i've seen you also inspire people to give money to support you know uh causes that you, that you care about acorns and so on you know so so, so what what I'm, I'm interested to know what, you know, because as soon as you leave, as soon as you become 18 and you leave a hospice like Acorns, it does put a huge hole in, in your life because, you know, remember we spoke about it and I told you how I think it would affect me leaving the hospice and not, and, and, and I mean, I still feel like that there isn't much out there for adults as much there are for children, you know, and, 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 I'm hoping I'm hoping in the future that does change because you know that I don't think it's right if people are 18 and then as soon as they're 18 they're having to to leave what they've grown up with and then they've got nothing else to turn to you know because I've I've had nothing else to turn to I've had to fight depression on my own I've had to come from you know wanting to end end my life to you know I've had to fight that all alone without the help of anyone and, and I mean I was strong and I believe in God and I believe God helped me. But some people, unfortunately, they wouldn't be as strong as me if they were in in that position. So so I, I really hope in the future that that changes and, and there is more out there for, for adults, you know, more adult services out there. Um, but yeah, acorns. I mean, adults, I mean yeah. it is very difficult, Mo. And, but if we really sort of, you understand, I mean, you know this, that most children that ACORN sees are referred to as between birth and, say, five years old. Mm -hmm. um, and we wouldn't be able to take on new children if, if folks like you stayed with us into adulthood. And so yeah. the issue, it does need to change. I mean, the process you describe is unsatisfactory and really unjust because, you know, 
it must have felt very arbitrary for you. One day you're 17 years and 364 days and you've got all access to services in places like Acorns and two days later you haven't. And what what's really changed? Well, yeah, you had an 18th birthday. Well, wow. Um, yeah. But the I think the change that needs to happen isn't the children's hospices opening their doors to young adults. The change that needs to happen is services to open to young adults that aren't currently yeah, no, that, that's that no that's that's exactly what i mean i mean there should be something to, to turn to once someone leaves acorns you know okay acorns like you said it, it's it's a lot of kids from from a young age that they, they only are there for a young age and stuff but as soon as a child does hit 18 and they have left the hospice they they should have to, something else to turn to as an adult. You know, an adult should have something to turn to. And but I don't think it should be a hospice. I mean, I, I, I love, I think St. Mary's, for example, the adult hospital in Birmingham there, near us in Celia. Mm -hmm. It's a great hospice. And what they do, they do brilliantly. But I'd hate the thought of you there, Mo, you know, because it's not full of people having short breaks. It's full of people at the very end of their lives. Mm -hmm. yeah as you know that's the difference in the adult hospice and children's hospice yeah. So yeah what i think we need is to have proper transition and set youth and young adult services for people like you and mm -hmm. and and services that are responsive to your needs as they are today not a child not a fully independent or healthy adult but something that you know something appropriate to what you want but also to the to the opportunities as well as the constraints caused by disabilities of different sorts yeah yeah because i mean yeah that that is did you ever go to that place in tipton what was it called no no i've 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 i've, I've tried a few a few places but I mean, the waiting list for a lot of them were, were very, very big. So um, it was it was like a very slight chance that you'd actually get in. But but I mean, I mean, if we, if we do go back to Acorns and we go back to your to your role as, as CEO, and I mean, it it sounds it sounds, it does sound like a big role to take on. I mean, I mean, do you have to plan for the future? And do you have any plans for for Acorns in the future? Um, and what? Um, yeah, I mean, I learn all the time as CEO. So obviously, as I'm responsible for the fundraising, I'm responsible most importantly for the care work. I'm responsible for us filing our income tax. I'm responsible for the 300 or so employees, the thousand or so volunteers, the customers in our shops. Um, it's a very broad job, the CEO role, and. Um, Luckily, I work with a great team. And uh, luckily, as you, you know, Acorns, people are really kind to Acorns. There's a lot of goodwill towards us in the community. Yeah. And there's a lot of people in the UK, I think, uh, I do think that the UK has got the best charity sector in the world. And that's because the public are the most generous public in the world with the greatest tradition of dipping, in, dipping their hand in their pockets and supporting their local charities. So I learn every day. I mean, I'm not the same person I, that um, 
met you that first time uh, when I went to the Birmingham hospice for the first time and you were staying there. And, uh, and you came up to me and said, oh, you're the new chief executive and so on. And, you know, I have, I've changed since then. Um, I hope I've learned a lot. It's been a difficult four or five years. You know, we've had financial challenges as a charity, as you referenced 10 minutes ago. And then just as we were emerging from that, the pandemic came along, which is really once in a lifetime challenge for anyone running a charity or an organization, in addition to the challenges it presents in our own lives. I mean, the weird thing about this pandemic, wherever you are, you have to work in an organization where you know that every single one of your colleagues has not only experiencing new challenges in their professional lives, but they're also dealing with all of the personal uh, issues caused by COVID. Concern about friends, in many cases, bereavement, you know, 130,000 deaths in the UK, not being able to see friends, not being able to see families, not being able to go shopping, not being able to have proper holidays. It's really, really hard because you're, you're dealing with a workforce that is really, really tired and, and now we all have to find the right way of, you know, we, we know there's tons of people who want to stay in Acorns again now. They're feeling a bit more confident about the future. I desperately need a stay. I've, like I said, many of them haven't had a stay for 15 months. But obviously I'm balancing that. My own team are tired and saying, well, we need a break and this or that. So you have to find that middle way. Have you, did your, did your carers come around during COVID, mate? Um, no, 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 they, they refused to come. Um, they refused to come. Well, I mean, the great, the amazing, the amazing thing now is, you know, we, we all did go for a lot. I didn't have carers for a few months. Um, and I think everyone went for a lot in their own way. But, but, but the amazing thing now is we're slowly getting back to, to normality you know things are opening i went to a football match i went to watch the mighty villa last week beat chelsea um and uh, i know how much you love the villa so, I, so you, yeah, I don't you, i'm not sure you believe me but i do actually love the villa they're just not my favorite team but they're my second favorite team oh, ever since oh. I, ever I, since i've yeah. worked with I, I find that i find that hard to believe but 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 yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, yeah, you, 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 you. Okay, so because uh, you know, I'm, I work for a charity, so I'm not a, uh, I'm not one of those um, football fans. So your listeners, you know this, but for your benefit of your listeners, I've been a Leeds United supporter my whole life, and actually, I was quite upset. Mo, you'll have seen there was a lot of beef between Gabby and the Leeds fans based on. I think, um, Gabby, to be fair to Gabby, he was only trying to have a laugh with them. And I think, he, I think was, he was only having a laugh. And actually, the way I and they view it, very serious. I mean, even Bamford come out and he, he took it serious himself. So, I mean, well, and, and I mean, you know, Gabby, I mean, you know, Gabby, he won't stop and he won't stop. He loves winding people up. And I mean, he, he was in his he was in his element at that time. He was loving it. Well, the um, the the. The thing is, is that um, uh, I, the way I see it is you've got Leeds and Villa who for years and years and years 
their fans have been let down by what's happened to the football clubs. These are both huge clubs at the heart of huge cities in the UK. And, and, and I actually think, I, I, love, I love this season. I love it that you see Leeds and Villa comfortable mid-table playing with each with some fantastic victories. I mean, your victory against Liverpool was still the, the result Liverpool of the did a good one. Arsenal beat Chelsea, beat Spurs, you know. I think, I think the main, the, the good thing to mention as well, and the, the amazing thing to mention is, we've got the Euros coming up now with England, and we've got Leeds have a player in there, Villa have two players in there, Watkins should be in there too, by the way, but Gary Southgate picked Dominic Calvert-Lewin, even though Watkins got five more assists than him um so that doesn't make sense at all but but yeah you know the well, Euros... if, I was, if, if, if we were being strict my Watkins should be a Leeds player because that's where everyone thought he was and that's where he, everyone said he wanted to go after Brentford didn't get promotion and Leeds did a year ago but I think Leeds decided to sign Rodrigo a Spanish forward and that left Watkins free to go to Villa and I think you made the yeah, best. I, I, think, I think Watkins would have always went, went um, come to Villa because of Dean Smith. Oh, I mean, that's oh, always oh, yeah. Dean Smith has always been, been been like a father figure to him. So I mean, that that uh, I, I think that would have always happened. Anyway, a bit of persuasion from Dean Smith, and 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 he would have been there. But but yeah, the Euros are coming up. How do you think England would do before before we start to finish this episode? Um. I think it's always the right time to be optimistic. Um, I've been following England in, in tournaments for much longer than you've been on this earth. Uh, you know, so I've got 34 years of... Um, I've cheered I've on it in the Euro 90s. I was, um, you know, um, uh, well, sorry, Italia 90. I can remember watching that in Spain, in uh, in... Glenn Hoddle's Euros, that was 96, when Paul Gascoigne got that goal against Scotland and we did that brilliant Euros against the Dutch. Uh, we all thought we were going to win that tournament and then there was disappointment. So let's see what happens. Tournament, though. Do you think, yeah, where do you think we'll come? Who do you think is going to win the tournament and where do you think England will come? Uh, well, I guess I could, the only way I can answer that is to say I think England will do, get to at least the semi-finals. And why don't I predict that England wins? Yeah. Yeah. I think England will, England will get far, but I'll just Portugal and France look very, very strong at the minute. I mean, um, I mean Gary Southgate, he's picked four right backs, something as well. So it's 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 going to be tough. I mean, I mean with the squad selection, if you pick the, a better squad and the right players, I think we could have won. But but yeah, you know, I'm not the manager, so I I can't really talk. But. But yeah, um, thanks very much for for coming on the Live to Inspire podcast. It's it's been been nice. an honour to speak to you. Um, and before we do close, I I've got to ask my my closing question now. And and that question is, before we go, what would be your message of inspiration to to someone who's listening to this and they're feeling, you know, a bit down at the minute? Um, it. I would I would try and be sympathetic and to lend an ear, um, but but I would say that uh, you you know you've always got to keep going and 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 that's where you've been such an inspiration though is is that you know what you've demonstrated is that however difficult your circumstances, you've always 
got you've got to look forward not backwards and you've got mm -hmm. to look outwards and not inwards and mm -hmm. um but i would be very sympathetic because life has been incredibly tough in the last 18 months all of us have been tested in ways that we um have never been tested before and certainly not all at the same time and and therefore there are no set answers there's no set scripts we're the we are the generation that has got to come out together from this pandemic and be part of building, a, if you like, a post-pandemic UK, a post-pandemic West Midlands, Birmingham, that we're all proud to live in and that, you know, treats people fairly and respectfully. And, uh, and uh, yeah, that, that, that's, that would be my message, man. That, that's, yeah, that, yeah, that's an amazing message. So to, to anyone that's feeling down at the minute, I think that really boosts boost someone and where where can um the listeners the viewers where can they find you and where can they find the acorns um acorn children's hospice so uh if you google acorns children's hospice you'll uh find us and uh there'll be the website or at acorns hospice our twitter and instagram where acorns are on facebook and uh they'll probably find a picture of you there mo because you're still our best known uh ambassador and we're, we'll always be very proud uh, to have created some happiness for you and for your lovely parents and uh, you know myself and the myself and the team at Celio we still remember you the the gnomes are still there with their telephones and all of the rooms that you used to enjoy we haven't got a mm -hmm. ps5 though because I know you have um, yeah I went, but... I went I went the other day for the ambassador stuff and then yeah it, it yeah it it hit my heart going back there and seeing and seeing a few of the old staff that that i grew up with and and yeah yeah i mean um yeah i, I, I will never stop fighting for, for acorns and fighting for um you know i just want acorns to get out there and i want everyone in this country to know about acorns that's that's my my plan um so yeah i won't stop um and yeah until i'm until i've left the world i won't stop doing that um, but yes, yeah, thank you very much for for coming thank on you. today. It's, uh, it's, no, it, it's yeah, that, th thanks for your time. And yeah, guys, this has been the Live to Inspire podcast with me, the whole small unit. And take care, everyone. Goodbye. Thanks for joining us on the Live to Inspire podcast with me, your host, Small Unit. Please comment, like and share to help build our global community.